Um, I'm joined up here tonight by a friend and colleague. Her name's Diane Scrotenbohr. We went to seminary together, um, traumatized, I would say. We left cemetery, seminary, cemetery. Hope no one from, I know no one from faculties here. Um, So we went to seminary together, became friends there. She graduated a few years ahead of me. She did it in three years. I did it in nine. Nine, Nine, yeah, yeah, slow learner. And um, Diane was in my preaching class. I was teasing her before because um, one of my memories of Diane was uh, she was walking around the atrium of the seminary the day we were um, supposed to preach, and we had to memorize. It was Dr. Tim Brown made you memorize a huge chunk of scripture, and she was walking around the atrium mumbling. And it was your scripture you were practicing. So she did really good. And she told me just today that she ran off the stage crying, which I'm totally pulling for tonight. But um, I know. Well, you're my friend. Um, So Diane is here to teach tonight. And I'm excited about it because I know this. Diane is a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. She's faithful in her theology, her understanding, interpretation, and teaching of scripture. So I would invite you to welcome my friend Diane Scrotenborn. Tune your ear to what God has to say through her about family and making room. Would you join me in welcoming Diane Scrotenborg? Thank you, Eric. Thanks. That's so nice. And I'm so glad to be here. Number one, I dressed up because COVID has taken that away from us, right? So I, I took advantage of that. And Eric goes, we don't dress up there. I'm like, I did. <laughs> so here I am, and hopefully I get through this with these high heels on. But anyway, um, I'm glad to be here. I actually am honored to be able to uh, be presenting to you part two of the family series teaching about adoption. Um, I'm excited, very excited. And um, if you'll remember last week, Eric was talking about abuse and generational sin and how we as believers do have a responsibility despite the atonement which we are so thankful for to name those sins in our families and to call them out so that they don't become viral for the lack of a better term in our families and um, kind of eat away at them. Um, I'm going to be talking again about adoption, what it looks like spiritually, physically, and practically. But before we get started, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to hear your word and to learn um, what our spiritual adoption means and how that looks um, as we go into our lives and um, are your hands and feet. Lord, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon us here and um, that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth are acceptable and pleasing to you. Amen. So I looked up a couple definitions about adoption and I found one, um, the voluntary acceptance or taking on as your own. And this usually refers to the legal process of becoming a non-biological parent. That's what we're mostly familiar with. But it also refers to the act of embracing ideas, habits, or free kittens. Usually you can get some free cats if you adopt them anywhere you go. (laughs) But tonight, or today, we are going to talk about our spiritual adoption first because I believe that that kind of sets the foundation and provides a really good example 
of what it is like to have a heart for adoption. I think before we can have a heart for adoption that embraces um, making space for people in our lives, making space for people in our families, reaching out to others, we have to know what it means and what it feels like to be adopted. I do not have the privilege or the honor of being an adopted child or having children that we have adopted, but I do have the experience of this spiritual adoption that we find in Christ. So I too am going to use King David as an example, just as Eric did last, last week, I almost said last year, last week. Um, this time though in 2 Samuel, we are going to back up a couple chapters and we are actually going to see um, the loyalty that King David had for his friend Jonathan. And we are also going to look at the kindness that he had in his heart and also for the Lord. So we're going to be talking about Mephibosheth. And I, I mess that word up all the time. It's a tongue twister for me. I understand why Jonathan gave him that name, but it's still difficult. So Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. King Saul did not like David, and it was, it was not a secret. He did not like David. But that did not stop David and his son Jonathan from having a very, very close relationship. And um, they were best of friends. And um, that friendship brought them to a place where and we're, I think many of us are familiar with this type of thing. Jonathan said to David, hey, you know, if anything ever happens to me, will you take care of my family? Yep, David said, I will. He made an oath. And it wasn't just a simple nod, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take care of your family. Don't you worry. Don't you worry, bud. No, this was witnessed by God. And we'll soon find out that it's the perfect example of God's kindness. So this was a serious oath. Sometime later in scripture, we find out, unfortunately, that Jonathan and King Saul are both killed in battle, the Battle of Gilboa um, in the Jezreel Valley, and they are fighting the Philistines. And there's a little bit of discrepancy on this. They both were killed, but some text will say that King Saul actually took his own life after hearing about the passing of his son. Now, historically, and in those times, if the king was killed, the entire family had to be wiped out. Um, everybody. They did not want any chance of the descendants of that deceased king um, gaining the throne again. So the nurse of Meshivabeth knew that. And she grabbed him up. He was about five at the time that our texts say. And they fled. And in doing so, the little lad fell. And it must have been one doozy of a stumble. Or he actually fell from a building. I'm not sure. But the result was he broke both of his legs. The little boy broke both of his legs, lower legs. Maybe it was the ankles. But the result of that fall left him lame. So 
he then goes on to um, live his life in Lobashar, which is um, uh, literally translated a land of nothing. And remember, he now, which is pretty ironic because it actually symbolizes his life. He has nothing. He has no inheritance. He doesn't have his health. He has nothing. And um, so we're going to forward 15 to 20 years forward, and King David is now on the throne. And he remembers this oath that he made to his friend and probably says, you know, it might be a good idea if we put some effort into seeing if there are any descendants of King Saul, because I made an oath to Jonathan, my good friend. Well, sure enough, they found Mephibosheth, and they summoned him to King David. I can just about imagine what he was thinking at that time. He's probably looking at his life going, this is a struggle, I don't have much, and now this? Now this? How much more can I possibly take? Because, remember, it could mean death. But if he doesn't go, it could also mean death. So he humbly presents himself to King David. He doesn't know King David, just his father did. And in 2 Samuel 9, it describes this meeting of Mephibosheth and King David, and it says, the young man humbly bowed, and David told him to not be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you, restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. In other words, he was adopted into King David's family by the completion of an oath that he had made to his father. Mephibosheth is now treated the same as David's other sons. He shares in the inheritance. And this is all because of that oath and because of the heart of King David the heart that showed loyalty, the heart that had the courage to fulfill an oath that he had made, a heart that had the courage to open up his home to this man who had nothing. So despite Mephibosheth's low self-worth, physical disability, and the shame brought to him, by his grandfather's sin, he is embraced and he is loved. Now, this is a really, really neat part that I love about Scripture. I love it when the Old Testament Scripture can illuminate a New Testament covenant. And this is one of those times. Listen to these similarities. Christ inquires after this degenerate race that does not inquire of him. He comes to seek and save. 
to those who humble themselves before God and commit themselves to Him, He restores the forfeited inheritance. He entitles them to a better paradise than that which Adam lost in the fall and takes them into communion with himself, sets them with his children, Christ our Lord, as at his table and feasts. Feasts with him as co-heirs, the bread and wine of heaven. Mephibosheth is a wonderful example of the redemption available to those who come humbly before the King of Kings. Jesus is the King and offers to one and all a chance to eat at the King's table forever. Does not matter if we have nothing, have been ashamed and rejected, or that we are disabled and hurt, it doesn't matter the color of our skin, nothing. We are offered an inheritance of royalty. We are adopted sons and daughters of the king. This story is a beautiful example of adoption on King David's part, but also it's a beautiful example of adoption that we can now pay forward. There are people who may not feel, despite the fact that God pursues us with a vengeance and he brings us into his family and to his table, there are some people, and you might be one of them, I don't know, who have a really hard time feeling good enough for that. That guilt kind of permeates their whole life. They're their own worst enemy, really. We are our own worst enemy in a lot of ways. It's so hard for us to accept these free gifts from God of grace. And no matter what they do or what they say, they, they do not feel worthy. Much less think that their life situations, how awful they may be or the experiences they've had could be used to glorify God. And I want to share with you some reassurances on that. Again, in order to have a heart for adoption, we have to know what it feels like to be adopted, to be embraced, to be loved unconditionally. And why does God come after us after all? And I'm going to tell you in Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I'm going straight from the manuscript here because I will go off on rabbit trails if I don't. This scripture um, kind of lends to that, and those will be six other teachings. <laughs> so listen to this and listen to what Spurgeon, um, how he puts it. God called us in Christ. He justified us in Christ. He sanctified us in Christ. He will perfect us in Christ. 
He will glorify us in Christ. We have everything in Christ. And we have nothing apart from Christ. Again, the point of these words in him is to take our thoughts away from anything in ourselves and to focus us on the merits and the love of our Savior who gave himself for us. And although we must believe to be saved, salvation is not to be traced to our faith or anything else in us. Rather, salvation is to be traced to God's eternal purpose through Jesus Christ and all that he did for us on Calvary. We were not chosen because of anything in us, but rather we were chosen in him. That is an assurance we can hang our hats on. And the blessing of salvation is part of God's eternal plan to glorify himself. That means you and I get to be part of that. This phrase before the foundation of the world is there for our comfort and our assurance so that we bless God for his choosing us. It means that you were not an afterthought in the mind of God. It means that he set his love on you long before you ever existed. That means your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Wow. That to me is mind-blowing and sometimes you just have to sit in that for a little bit. Salvation, if it depended on us, we would make a mess of things, I can tell you. He created the world. That's the sure thing. And the God who planned it before the world began, that whole plan of redeeming us, will bring it to completion. In fact, the doctrine of God's choosing us for salvation is one of his greatest blessings because it guarantees our becoming holy and blameless before him. By his grace, we are saved. God's grace is the means of our salvation through Christ and the basis by which he sees us. So, by grace... We are declared righteous. All of our guilt and shame have been removed and Christ's righteousness is credited to us as our own. We are part of God's family. A spiritual adoption has taken place so that we might become children of God and call him Father. We are made co-heirs with Christ Our inheritance is guaranteed and kept for us in heaven. And we have been given new life. When we trust in the Savior, we are born again and we receive a fresh start. The seal of this new life is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who transforms us into the image of God and guarantees our future resurrection. And I am just gonna share with you a little bit of the baptism uh, liturgy 
So we talk about being invited to the Lord's table and always being um, an, an adopted heir with Christ at his table. And that is such a beautiful image. And we celebrate the Lord's um, Supper oftentimes as Christians and believers in Christ's church. And um, for those of you who have not seen it yet, I, I can't wait for the day when you can come in these doors and see the beautiful table that illustrates this perfectly, that is in the main gathering area here of the building. It is gorgeous, and it is a symbol of that table where we all can gather and eventually come to be at the Lord's, the King's table. But listen to these words from the Liturgy for Baptism, which is also so beautiful. Mm, Hold on. Here we go. From John 1, verses 12 and 13, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Or this, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Through baptism, Christ calls us to new obedience, to love and trust God completely, to forsake the evil of the world, and to live a new and holy life. Yet when we fall into sin, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, for baptism is the sign and seal of God's eternal covenant of grace with us. And then, of course, when you baptize the little one, one of the greatest things to me as a pastor, whether it's a believer baptism or an infant baptism, they're all both beautiful. But I love the infant baptisms were in their purest state. Even though they were born into a sinful world, they are sinless in their behavior and presenting them before the Lord and saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then going on to say, child of the covenant, in baptism, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. Oh, that is so encouraging and full of promise and full of hope. He who makes believers to be heirs will provide for them. It's not something, let me back up. So now with that perfect example of adoption, and we know what it feels like to be children of the king, we now can go forth after we have grabbed onto his hand that he has extended to us, we can in turn extend our hand to others to lead them to Christ, to adopt them in, to make room in our hearts and in our families and in our our minds even, to bring people in. I am going to, well, actually I'm going to go to a story. So, like I said earlier, I don't have um, any experience with being adopted myself. Um, in the physical sense, uh, um, nor do I have adopted children, but I did 
have the honor and the privilege of raising my children alongside my very best friend who did adopt a daughter from China about 16 years ago. And I will never forget the look on her face when she came down the little hall from the gate in the airport and there were a bunch of friends gathered there and family. The look on her face was one of pure joy, pure exhaustion, pure overwhelmed, and overwhelmment, I would say. But as tears were glistening down her cheeks, I could tell already that she was so in love with that little girl, that little girl that she held tightly to her chest in a little front carrier, close to her heart, that heart that had longed for years for this baby. The heart that would now understand over many years how much her heart could expand to accommodate the ups and downs and the trials of raising children. And her heart knows now what it's like to raise a child in the covenant and to be able to mirror that with Christ's covenant for us as adopted children. I think that is the most beautiful analogy. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like either to see God's face when we see him and he's so proud and he's so happy to see us that day when he comes with unveiled faces we see him. Romans is where you can find, if you're looking for anything, beautiful assurance of what it's like to be a servant of God and to be served by God. And I am going to, I think we're going to put up on the screen um, Romans 8, 14 through 17. Are we there? Yeah. Or 26? We can go with this. That's perfect. <laughs> in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. We have that. Because that's how we are equipped to go out in the world, opening our hearts, opening our minds, making room in our families to maybe adopt a child, maybe foster a child, maybe mentor a teen, maybe be an accountability coach for someone who's struggling with addiction. We'll take a moment in a little bit and look what that might look like for, for the foundry. But I can tell you there have been so many times where I do not have the words to pray to God for help, for encouragement, for hope, and to know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us 
is a comfort that we all have as sons and daughters in Christ. We live in a fallen world and it can get messy, it can be hard, it can be downright ugly. And it, and it affects all of us. It doesn't matter how devout you are, it doesn't matter if you read the Bible all day long, we are called to live in this world and this world is fallen. And I want to read to you um, of a saint, and these are her words, who um, has helped many, many, many people. And she found herself in a dark place. Since 1949 or 1950, this terrible sense of loss, I feel. This untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me that pain deep down in my heart. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind or with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. And then it is that I feel he does not want me. He is not there. God does not want me. Sometimes I just hear my own heart cry, my God, and nothing else comes. The torture and pain I cannot explain. These are the words of Mother Teresa. A saint who has helped many and who has adopted young ones into her heart and into her life and into her soul. And she found herself in a very dark place. And not for a day, but for 10 years. And she will go on to say there is nothing more painful than feeling that you have been betrayed by your Lord. But it gets better. And I know that there are people who have been in that place, who have felt that pain. But hear this. Was she going the wrong way? From the time that she received her call, she was convinced that her mission was to bring the light of faith to those living in darkness. Little did she know that darkness would become the greatest trial of her life. With the help of her spiritual directors, who had adopted her, made room for her in their life, she progressively came to grasp that her painful inner experience was an essential part of living out her mission. It was sharing in the passion of Christ on the cross with a particular emphasis on the thirst of Jesus. And that was the mystery of God longing for the love and salvation of every human person. Eventually, she recognized her mysterious suffering as an imprint of Christ's passion on her soul. She was living the mystery of Calvary, the Calvary of Jesus, 
and the Calvary of the poor and the Calvary of those who also find themselves in the darkness of depression. So yes, our Lord can use every part of us, every experience we've had, to go out and reach others and to turn those things into glorifying him. So what does adoption look like for you? What does it look like for the foundry? Does it look like in your small groups gathering together around a common interest? Maybe that common interest is a, a trial you've all been through. Maybe it's a, a joy that you can celebrate and invite someone in to your table. Maybe it is literally adopting a child or fostering a child or like I said earlier, grabbing on to a teen, walking alongside them in these difficult years where they're trying to figure out their identity and their identity in Christ is so important. Maybe it's adopting someone. Maybe it's a group of you adopting one teen. Or, or right now, I can think too of adopting an elderly person. This COVID has been so rough on our older generation. Folks, they are lonely. They have been cooped up and kept away from a lot of the things that really fulfilled their life. And, a, and one of those big things was church. And that's where they found their community. Write a card, snail mail it to them, tell them what you're doing in your life. Stick a piece of gum in there. I don't know, that's what I used to do when I was little. But, I'm sure they can't chew it, but, you know, <laughs> it's the thought that counts. People are lonely. People are so lonely. And the definition of feeling lonely is not that you're by yourself necessarily, it's that you don't believe people care. That's what adoption is. The act of embracing ideas, habits, people, making room, making room in your homes, in your heart, in your life to connect. That's what God wants us to do. And we have that perfect example. We have our spiritual adoption to always refer to and to always look at. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. He pursues us. And then likewise, we can pursue others. I'm about up here. So what's our response then? Um, our response to being adopted into God's family. We must not become complacent. We must live as Jesus did, serving others, resist pressures to conform to this world, and boy, are those pressures big. They are big. Live obediently. Immerse yourself in the word. Share your time. Share your talents. Yes, we all have them. That's what it looks like. It looks like getting up maybe every morning, recognizing that we are sinful people, but we're going to try and do better today. 
Just try to do better. Maybe that's all it is for you. I know there are days for me where it's, all right, Lord, I'm going to try and be better today. Help me. (laughs) Be with me, walk with me. One of my favorite things as a, as a church family to do is, um, is to pray together. And one of my favorite prayers is the Lord's Prayer because it's what the Lord taught his disciples to say when they didn't know how to pray. And I will be honest with you, there are moments where I don't have the words and I don't know what to say. So let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it has been a pleasure worshiping with you here today. As you go into your week, hear these words and receive this blessing. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.